Cacao. High five. I went and got COVID tested today. I usually practice. No more bunk beds. Yeah, it's only $3,450. So you want me to put my what where? And as if my mouth didn't get dry enough at the dentist already. Just kidding, I don't usually practice. So anyways, welcome to the Bikita EHS uh, podcast, EHS News Podcast. We are in episode five. And five. Episode five. Episode five. Cacao. High five. And um, before I tell you what we're going to talk about today, I'm just going to recap what we talked about last week. Last week, we went over an article that the, that discussed how coronavirus is continuing to disrupt the waste and recycling services around the United States and probably around the world, but we focused on the U.S. And we, our second article uh, we discussed was about preventing COVID by wearing masks while social distancing. And when we talked about that, we also went over some NIOSH guidance, talked about where you could look up masks that you might buy um, online like the K95 or various versions of the K95. So, uh, so today we are going to be talking about a couple different things that are a little bit different. Um, we'll be going over our normal OSHA COVID tips of the day. Kendra will be walking us through those. And then we have one article uh, about uh, called the NanoWave Air is helping nursing homes, dentists, and dentists protect staff and patients from COVID-19. And Kendra will explain all about what a nanowave air is. And then I will be reviewing the, well, it's an article titled the 10 largest OSHA fines for 2020, but we'll just be discussing OSHA fines in 2020. And we'll pepper in some COVID fines as well. So with that, we will hand it over to Kendra. Cool, hey guys. So the first COVID tip of the day we have is from 1228. And that is install plexiglass partitions between workstations. I've seen that installed pretty much at most of the grocery stores that I've been to, nail salons, stuff like that. Yeah, they're everywhere. Your, um, your local salad bar. <laughs> Subway. <laughs> Subway. Um, the big question is, if you have those up, should you still be wearing a mask? Well, that is a good question. I mean, according to that article last week, mask wearing isn't the end all be all. You need to partner it with, you know, social distancing or something else along those lines. Good answer. I mean, everything helps lower the risk. So the partitions help stop somebody from spewing their particles straight at you while they're standing in front of you, which is kind of what the mask does also. So the two together makes your chances better at avoiding exposure. So you should always wear a mask. If you're gonna be out around people, especially people you don't know, you should always wear a mask. Especially right. 
it's not like they're all stationed or that's the one place that they're going to be for the entire day. So you might as well just wear a mask. All right. Uh, 1229, we have limit the number of workers in shared living quarters on board vessels. That makes sense. Cruise ship. Yeah, they had the, the earlier on this year, the big story about, I forget what type of aircraft or what type of vessel it was. It was a Navy vessel. I think it was an aircraft carrier. And um, the commander had sounded the alarm saying they, they weren't getting help and that he was really afraid that his crew was all going to get COVID. Um, and then he got dismissed for usurping the chain of command. Um, but yeah, how do you stop it if it's, you gotta minimize contacts. Yeah, you can't go anywhere. No more bunk beds. Think about other places that are like that, like jails, you know? It's, you're kind of in a tight spot, like especially in ships that don't get to stop operating. Like, um, like cruise, cruisers, they shut down for a while, but the Navy isn't going to shut down. Mm -hmm. Jails aren't going to go away. Um, yeah, there was, there was um, a discussion on NPR about the rate of COVID in the jails. I, I don't recall what the percentage was, but it was like substantially higher than, you know, what you see in the regular population. Yeah. For her 1230 we have move workstations farther apart. Check. <laughs> Done. Yeah, like what, uh, what so you want to do is you want to have a workstation in Utah and another one in Texas and another right. one in Pennsylvania. We're doing great. Right, so we are doing the best job social distancing <laughs> right now. Yeah. I mean, and it, it makes it easier if companies allow some of the workers to work from home too because it frees up cub cubicle spaces um stuff like that i guess manufacturing lines are different they'd have to limit the number of people they have in the area at a time right and like spread them out or even that would be a great um case for installing plexiglass partitions you know manufacturing lines you typically have a set spot where you're going to be working so mm -hmm. you can somewhat encapsulate that person besides having them wear all the right PPE. Right. On 1231, we have immediately separate sick offshore workers from their colleagues. I feel like that applies to more than just offshore workers, right? You wanna separate all of the sick employees? Of course. I think, you know, you can kind of tell that these OSHA COVID tips are directed at particular industries. So like we've got a couple um, shipping or, you know, on, on the open seas type um, suggestions here. And I guess the thing is, like, if you're on a cruise ship and you don't separate people immediately, the infection could spread like really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. And then, and then like you saw at the beginning of the pandemic, you got these cruise liners or ships with people on them and they don't let them off. And like everybody on there, if you don't let them off, I mean, what are you going to do with them? I mean, and that includes the workers. So you got people that you have to feed, you still have to provide them services. And I have workers walking around who are probably going to get sick. And then let's say they're delivering food to each person's room, which I think was happening on a cruise liner that docked in Japan. Um, and they wouldn't let them off the boat. 
and the workers were getting sick. Anyways. All right, the last one that we have for the 1st of January is use partitions installed along production lines where social distancing is not possible. Look at that. Maybe I read ahead. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to that, like, I mean, so the silver lining with that type of thing um, is that like in, in manufacturing, you, you always try to find ways to find efficiency in your, in your, um, in your process. And so reducing, finding ways to reduce the number of people that have to like put their hands on a particular, um, uh, having, reducing the number of people involved in a certain step of a process helps you reduce, uh, time, uh, costs, you know, things like that. So it's, you know, as far as business efficiency goes, it's a good practice. And in this case, minimizes exposure. Unfortunately, some people take that as also a good opportunity to lay people off. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, one of those, you know, things that's challenging is uh, like newer employees, like, they have to do their like hands-on training, finding a way to maintain social distancing and still get that one-on-one -on -one training, you know, is, is a challenge. Yeah. It's all left, left up to SOP reading now. I hope <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's a challenge no matter where you go sucks and some people are forced into it if they have to work yeah my dad hasn't uh he's been working at the facility at his facility ever since quarantine hit he's an inspector on the line so and he even said uh he was training a new guy and he didn't he wasn't allowed to go they weren't allowed to go near each other for like the first couple months that uh COVID was happening. He was like, well, I guess they're just going to be doing whatever I taught you before and we'll teach you, you know, what you need to know when everything gets better. Yeah. I mean, that's where, you know, having well-defined, like you said, well-defined procedures and, you know, standard work available for people to get that training. So they know exactly what they need to do particularly in like a manufacturing setting, like that detail is pretty important to make sure people are executing the jobs correctly. I mean, and, and you know, in, especially in those types of settings, in preparation for challenges like this, make sure you got people cross-trained, make sure that you have people trained in all sorts of things. You know, you don't want to have to rush to worry that you might have people need, needing to do a step that they haven't done before in a process which also might entail a lot of different safety trainings. You know, there's a lot of safety trainings that prevent people, like not having completed a certain training prevents you from participating in a certain part of a process. Like if you're not respirator cleared, if you're not trained in lockout tagout or confined space entry, stuff like that. Um, so making sure you have your people cross-trained is a, well, it's a good idea if you wanna avoid potential downturn, downtime. First article? Let's do it. All right. 
So this first article is from December 29th. Uh, I also found some articles that came out before then, uh, towards the beginning of November. Um, this one is from Pittsburgh's NPR news station. Studies have shown that NanoWave Air is helping nursing homes and dentists protect staff and patients from COVID-19. Okay, so I broke things up a little bit. Things that we do know, as Damien said last week from the, uh, the study for wearing a mask and social distancing, um, CDC studies can confirm that COVID-19 virus droplets can remain suspended in the air over long distances and for hours. So those droplets are in the air. Um, we also know that, what is it? Um, this ultraviolet radiation, UVC lamps, um, are known as a disinfectant for air, water, and non-porous surfaces. Um, and UVC lamps are often called germicidal lamps. Um, Nanowave Air, that device was developed by a company called Dynamics, which is based in Pennsylvania. And they're known for creating what is called smart credit cards. So they, a, a part of their company works on interactive, or what is it, battery powered interactive payment cards. And then they're also moving over to flexible ultraviolet type C light source technology. Um, so they're becoming a leader in digital technology and this NanoWave Air device is the first of its kind. Um, there are many mechanical filters that cannot capture small contaminants like viruses. So they developed this one in order to do that. How it works is that air is pulled into the chamber from 100, 200, up to 300 liters per minute. And that speed makes the nano airwave capable of inactivating viruses and bacteria in under two milliseconds. Once that inactivated air, um, basically once the air is inactivated, it can be pushed about 11 feet from the device. So purifying the air around it and preventing it from re-entering according to uh, the dynamic CEO, Jeff Mullen. Um, and part of the article said that it's basically the intense UVC light disrupts genetic material, which prevents the virus from reproducing. And I think we had talked about that viruses don't have genetic material, but I no, guess- No, no, no. No? They do have genetic material. They're just not, they're, they're, they don't reproduce. They infect, right. they infect other cells and then replicate using uh, the host cells. Uh, right, they don't themselves replicate. Right. So it's kind of a, Semantics. <laughs> so what it does, um, like you just like radiation disrupts genetic material, it breaks it up, and then things don't replicate or reproduce or whatever it might be the right way. So you know, there's UV is implicated in skin cancer. You know, too much radiation can affect how your cells might replicate, leading to what they suspect being skin cancer. That type of thing. Yeah, uh, they did some testing, obviously. They contacted several labs in the National Institute of Allergens and Infectious Diseases Biodefense Laboratory Network. That is quite a long name, um, including the University at Pittsburgh Center for Vaccine Research. Uh, and this technology was tested at multiple NIH-affiliated biocontaminant labs. 
So what the company did is they started testing these devices against SARS-CoV-2, SARS-CoV-2, um, in multiple mediums, in liquid surfaces, and in air, uh, to understand how they can change different wavelengths and provide different types of treatments in order to activate COVID. Um, and they first inactivated the virus in a US lab in May of this year. And then the product was launched in November. Um, so it's now purchasable um, to so Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's only $3,450, but it includes a carry case, <laughs> a tripod, and a power supply. <laughs> yeah, all those things. Yeah, so, um, the, so the, the unit like appears to be like pretty small. So to like use it on like a large scale, let's say to like, you know, ventilate like a warehouse or something like that, doesn't seem like that's gonna really be effective. So what are they intending like the, the use of this device for? Uh, so the two nursing homes that have it right now, well, it's two of two that belong to uh, a nursing home company in Pennsylvania. They are using it in the break room because you can't wear a mask while you're eating. A mask isn't required 100% of the time in that area. So they're using it in the break room. And in the future, they want to be able to use it in office spaces, elevators, public bathrooms, and in homes. So decently small areas um, where there isn't like a lot of traffic all at once. Uh, and they're also using it in dentist office, offices where, you know, people can't put on their masks during their appointments. Uh, so there's a dentist office in Pennsylvania that is using it too. And the nursing home, they just purchased nine more for their other facilities um, after they purchased the first two. So what, I mean, what I want to know is like if I speak into this thing, if, is it gonna change my voice? Like the old, you know, the fans, you would sound like Darth Vader. I don't know you if it does that, but it's, it's gonna clean your mouth, I, it cleans your mouth out, that's what it does. Yeah, and as if my mouth didn't get dry enough at the dentist already. Right, yeah. Instead of soap, they use UV. Clean yeah, your all mouth, of a sudden after, exactly. Sorry. You suddenly don't swear after it's put in front of you too. Um, no, they, uh, so what it does is it takes air in, it inactivates COVID, and then that purified air comes out. Um, and if it's put near your face, which is what they want to do for offices and homes and stuff like that, um, it actually, when you exhale out contaminated air, it pushes it down to the floor so that it doesn't spew out into people's faces and out into the environment. Right. Just yeah, to, to see if if they are gonna like develop like a larger unit. Yeah, we'll show a picture. I, I found a video of it too. Also, um, a safety thing that people might be worried about is are they going to be exposed to the radiation? And that is no, because the UVC light is contained in the device, so there's no risk of that. And just a quick point of clarification, because you were. Um mentioning SARS-CoV-2. So SARS-CoV-2 is, it's kind of like talking about HIV and AIDS. SARS-CoV-2 causes COVID-19. Um, it's severe acute respiratory syndrome and then the COVID-2 part. Um, and then the UV, the UV light, 
also, because there's three types of UV, right? UVC is not a normal type that we were typically exposed to. Like the sun shines UV light on Earth and UVA and UVB penetrate the Earth's atmosphere. UVC is typically stopped by ozone layer. So UVC is very damaging to living tissue, living cells. And so that's why it's very effective in, in disinfecting stuff. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like a, a tried and true technology, like UV sterilization. Right. You know, it's used in a number of processes and industry to treat materials. Um, I wouldn't, maybe we should have researched this ahead of time, but I wouldn't be surprised if they had large scale air treatment devices, you know, that wouldn't be necessary. This looks like a, this is a product that's off the shelf, ready for people to buy if they can afford it for their own house. If you look at the mm -hmm. website, it shows pictures of not only a dentist office with, you know, dentists right in the face of somebody without a mask on, but also, you know, a nice family gathering around the dinner table, which is, is suggested not to do, but if you're gonna do it, this is another way to help make it safer. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I mean, it looks, it looks, it's, it seems like a good idea. At first I was skeptical. I'm like, oh, they stuck a light in there. Who knows how effective it is. But when you look through mm -hmm. the, the test results on the website, you know, they have a lot of testing being done all around the country. The, you know, the hospital that my wife works in, um, they are the one of the places that tested it out. And after reading about how it works, it seems like it probably is effective. Just, you know, it, that doesn't, it doesn't eliminate all the virus, right? It's gonna, it's gonna blow clean air out, but it's, that air is gonna just be mixing with other air, which could be dirty. I don't know how many air changes per hour it can do in a room, right? Mm -hmm. Stuff like that might be useful if you're gonna be certifying this for use at a, in a workplace. Um, yeah, does doesn't mean you can't or shouldn't wear a mask. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, I think it's a I think it's a good um, prevention technique. You know, managing the airborne uh, presence of the virus. But yeah, we should also still be taking the personal protection. It, unfortunately, like when you're a person of science and you like when you like read an article or like it's even like when you watch a movie. And, and you see people that they, you know, they're actors, so they don't know what they're doing. And people that wrote the story, they probably don't know what they're doing as far as like making the science exact. Um, and you can always pick it apart. You're like, oh, they said that was radiation, but that's a biohazard sign on that container. Or like if you read the article, the NPR article, there's a picture on it and it says, this nano thing is great for nursing homes, which is where you should definitely be wearing a mask. And of course they have an elderly person receiving some kind of medical treatment without a mask on and a younger person visiting, I guess, without a mask on, touching hands. Yeah, it's great that it helps, but it's not, you know, the end all be all. It's not the cure all for it, you know? No. Anyways, I love it. Yeah. Good idea. Just clean your pictures up. 
<laughs> it's like once when I was a c consulting and we did like a lot of lab safety stuff and the, the UCLA lab fire had just happened. So this was a while ago, which is where the grad student got burned to death because she wasn't wearing uh, the right PPE. And then I was just like searching around and I just saw like the homepage of this like chemistry department at a university and it had like a, a person without any PPE on like reaching in doing experiments and like people standing around her and I was like, come on, man. Yeah, they also had a misspelling on their page and I was like, oh, yikes. Anyways, but <laughs> I do appreciate the technology. It looks like it looks like a nice tool. Try it out. If anybody's tried it out, let us know what you think of it. Oh yeah, definitely. All right. Moving on. Yep. Moving on. So article number two, top 20 OSHA fines for 2020. Um, it's a simple list. There's 10, but we're not going to go through literally all of them. What I want to do is just summarize uh, some key ones for you. And also I want to talk about the uh, COVID update around OSHA fine. So uh, before I get into all that, I just want to clarify a couple things. So when we're talking about penalties from OSHA, they're categorized. So typically with serious other than serious or posting requirements, you get uh, fines of $13,494. That's listed on the OSHA website. Um, failure to abate beyond the abatement period is $13,494 per day beyond that date. And then a willful or repeated violation is $134,937. So when you start to look at the inspections, so you could, based on this, this article, if you go to the OSHA site where these inspections are, are logged, it'll show you those particular figures. In some cases, there's many line items with those numbers on them. So the fines can add up. Anyways, with, with the COVID, the COVID, the quick COVID update is through um, the end of the year, there were 294 inspections for violations relating to COVID coronavirus, and uh, which result, which have resulted in $3,849,222 in fines, which is an average of $13,092.59 per inspection. So, and the typical violations for coronavirus are failure to implement a written respiratory protection plan, uh, failure to provide medical evaluation, respirator fit test training on the proper use of respiratory uh, equipment and personal protective equipment, failure to report an injury, illness, or fatality, not recording injury or illness on the OSHA record keeping forms. Um, and then there's the good old general duty clause, which OSHA uses if there's not a particular rule about something, but that you should have known that you should have done something about that particular item that they found. And we had talked about this earlier, 13,000 per inspection doesn't really seem like that much. Um, especially when you're talking about, yeah, I don't know. This is a big source of contention, especially in politics. How much liability do companies have around coronavirus? I mean, the well, bottom I line mean, is- You, you gotta, 
you got to at least make the effort to protect your employees. You know, if it's stuff where they're saying, hey, everybody should wear a mask, well, you know, you should make masks available so employees can be protected. Yeah. There's a lot of gas stations in Texas that maybe should get a visit from OSHA. Just saying. So anyways, moving on to the uh, list of articles. So I'm going to go over three if we have enough time. Damien might cut me off. Maybe. But let's start with the first one, the largest fine. So a company called BB Frame from Cliffside Park, New Jersey, in 2020 was fined a total of $2,004,225. I looked into this a little bit. It's not quite as clear as this article makes it um, seem that there was, this was actually the result of multiple inspections at multiple sites. And BB Frame is a, um, is, is a company that has subdivisions with like under it. Um, it sounds like this is a company that's up to a lot of shady stuff too. Um, but anyways, they're a framing contractor. So what's a framing contractor? They are uh, the ones that construct the frame of a building. So they're the ones cutting the wood uh, or the lumber um, assembling it for walls, floors, anchors, and other vital structural support. So they do a lot of heavy duty, heavy duty work. You can imagine that um, there's a lot of room for, for injury uh, if you're not careful. And, and the, the inspection on June 2nd, which was the latest one, um, they had citations for housekeeping, fire protection, material handling, equipment, stairways, eye and face protection, uh, fall protection ladders, um, and there were a mix of serious, willful, and repeat violations. And they, OSHA has had conducted five separate investigations that had started up uh, in December of 2019. Um, and this particular company has also not paid fines in the past, so they're, they've been sued by the Justice Department. Um, so this, this company's in, in, in trouble. It didn't report that anybody had been injured or uh, killed because of any of these actions. They were, they were always, um, someone complained, a, a complaint led to the ocean inspect, inspection. Um, yeah, so a, a number of those complaints and like willful violations are pretty bad because you know you're doing something wrong and you do it anyway. Right, willful and repeat. You know about it. So, um, yeah, it's like they're big. It sounds like they're a big company. I didn't see how big they are, but this sounds like they're a big company. Pays to know who you're working for, I suppose. I want to make sure that this is one reason why you want to know who you're working for. Make sure that you work for a company that cares about your safety. Well, and yeah, and as somebody who you know, if you think about the companies who are hiring them to do work, right? Like you don't want people to, you know, get injured at your site with them performing the work as well. So you have to know <clears throat> when you're selecting contractors, you have to vet them to make sure they're reliable and safe contractors who are performing work for you. That's right. That's why, that's how I met Kendra. We, we had to review your former employer, make sure that you guys were doing things the right way. You passed. 
Yay. I'm so <laughs> <glad>. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's important. Contractor safety is very important. Mm -hmm. um, we had a pretty good program at my last employer and we still would catch contractors doing shady things on sometimes accident, sometimes not, you know, sometimes it was that they were not trying to do anything wrong. They just didn't know enough about what they were doing and put themselves in a dangerous situation. I think that's the worst though. I feel like, uh, not knowing, you know, I feel like everyone should get the same training, the right training. And well, I guess it depends on whether or not they listen in the training too. They mm -hmm. could not know because they're not listening. It, there's a lot of different reasons why someone might not be aware of safety rules, right? It might be that they weren't trained. It might be that they don't have enough experience, so they just kind of forget. It might be that they mm -hmm. don't have a good foreman on the job. The company hasn't given them the right tools, and they feel pressured to, to do the work. You know, all of those aren't good reasons to not be safe. The regular guy was out sick because of COVID, and he had a new person doing it who wasn't mm -hmm. cross-trained. It happens, right? Yeah. Be prepared. Um, so the second largest fine happened in February. And this is a uh, confined space. Two people died entering a permit required confined space. Uh, one, one employee entered a tank that had EcoCure 2 and methyl ethyl ketone residues that had been purged with nitrogen. They entered the tank to clean it and they were overcome by oxygen deficient atmosphere. And then employee number two, who wasn't working for the same company, saw that that first one went down and tried to rescue that employee and also was overcome by the oxygen deficient atmosphere. And they both died. Well, they didn't die on site. Um, the fire department responded, deemed it a, a hazmat situation and pulled both victims out of the truck. Um, and they had been listed in critical condition at the hospital, but then they, they had both passed, unfortunately. And so um, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't more detail than that. So it's, you know, when these types of things happen, especially with permit required confined space deaths, you're always wondering what that second person was thinking or why that second person decided to go in because gut instinct would tell a person, I got to go save the other person. You know, I got to do something. So it's, so you wonder like, did they know the rule and did they jump in anyways, thinking they could get in and get out fast enough or did they not have the right training? Maybe they weren't trained in confined space at all. But so the particular citation for this um, um, was for respiratory protection, permit required confined space, hazard communication, and some other general requirements. Um, and the fine itself was for one million, about a million point five, 1.5 million, sorry. scary so they're, they're they're cleaning out a tanker is that right yeah if you go look up the there's a local news 
article about it and they show a video of the the site it was a like a like a like a semi a tanker like on wheels in a warehouse um yeah so many different things you got to do when you're doing permit required confined space you know so I, and they don't tell you what they did wrong but there was again kind of a long list of citations so i would assume that they really didn't do a whole lot right um, you know, just as a refresher, when you're entering a permit required confined space, some of the things you need to have are a permit that lists all the requirements you need to follow before you jump in. And one of those is to make sure that you have the right training, to make sure that you're doing, um, that you're taking gas readings to know that the atmosphere is safe for you to go in and, and operate, uh, not just for oxygen, just to make sure that there's not an explosive atmosphere, corrosive atmosphere, or whatever other type of atmosphere could be in there based on what was in that tank previously. You have to have a rescue team identified and trained and available to respond. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting a few few pieces there. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like they didn't have any of those pre precautions in place. If they did, okay. the second guy probably wouldn't have gone in after him, right? If they knew the protocol. Yeah, if you're trained, you know, that yeah. you don't do this without respiratory, you know, you, you, there's so many red flags that kind of come up, you know, as you go through this article of things that you shouldn't be doing or things that you should be doing to make sure that you're prepared to do the job. If you're measuring for GAT, like you're using a four gas meter is usually what you would use. And if you see that there's not enough oxygen, my guess is you're not going to go in. So I'm making assumptions here, but I'm assuming they didn't take any gas readings because they would have known there was no oxygen in there. Well, also, you know, was it a routine cleaning? If they're used to cleaning stuff like that and used to not following those rules, maybe they're like, oh, we've always done this in the past. There was no issue. And then one day we get this tank that's, you know, has yeah. more. Well, it's saying HASCOM was a citation. Maybe they weren't communicating the hazards of what was in the tank the right way. Something mm -hmm. may have been mislabeled, some paperwork somewhere may have been oh. mixed up or incorrect. So simple little mistakes can lead to serious, serious problems. So, okay. And now uh, the last one that I want to talk about is the ninth largest fine. So it's kind of low on the list, but I picked it because it was a little different from the other ones. Um, there's other sad ones that were related uh, to the ones I previously brought up. So the ninth one uh, was about a Chicago-based Ferrara candy company that was cited for machine safety violations, where one employee suffered a fingertip amputation and another required hospitalization. So it's two different incidents. And the fines added up to about $485,000. And this is a company that is known for making Lemonheads, Red Hots, Trolley, and other famous candy brands. Um, and the violations were for specifications for accident prevention signs and tags. So if you have machines with pinch points and stuff, you're supposed to have signage up to indicate where those are to warn folks. Uh, training, selection, use of workplace practices, safeguards for personal protection, 
lockout tag out recording criteria. So recording like if um, like injury recording and then wiring methods, components and equipment for general use. So the maintenance of, of equipment and we had to do tons of this at my last, at the last two places I worked at. And I think Kendra helped me with some of that. Um, it, you shouldn't be sticking your hands in potential pinch points. And if you do, that's where you lock things out, lock and tag them out so that you can safely work on a piece of equipment. And I've, I've known, I mean, I think stories about pe people severing fingertips is not unusual, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, e even if you follow procedures, like there's still a chance something can happen. Yeah, that's, I mean, usually you would be hopefully wearing, I mean, it depends on the type of work you're doing, but if you can, you wear gloves. Well, there's other, there's other ones on there. There was a, a, an explosion. So we can show you a picture of it. It shot a tower up. Like I told my son it was 500 feet in the air. Cause he was like, wow, look at that picture. And I was like, yeah, it's huge explosion. Um, it's at a, a TPC group, which is near where I live now in Houston uh, refinery and uh, something about um, flammable emissions were suspected and a tank and somehow an explosion happened leading to a five, about a $500,000 fine. Um, Dollar trees on here a few times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so I, I looked at the, um, like the OSHA website too, and they have the 10 most frequently cited standards for 2019. And some of those, you know, starting from the top, Fall protection, construction is number one. Hazard communication standards uh, is number two. Number three, scaffolding. Four is uh, control of hazardous energy, so lockout, tagout. And then five is the respiratory protection. So the those big violations, are, you know, essentially are ticking those boxes there. Those are the important standards that prevent serious injury and death. You know, it's, yeah, they're on there for a reason. Yeah. So they're important. Follow your safety rules. Listen to your safety guy or girl, woman. Yeah, and Sorry. just use your, you know, use your head. If it's, <laughs> if you think it's something screwed up with it, it probably is. You know, if you go with your gut, usually, you know, it's gonna it's gonna lead you in the right direction. If you're questioning it, you know, it's good to take a second look at it. Right. Always ask a question. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. Am I really supposed to be up this high without fall protection on? Something tells me. I asked that question once. I was doing um, some lead dust sampling after an abatement, and it was on the ceiling and the the ceiling lights and they had scaffolding up and I was like I don't see anything here that has like an inspection for the scaffolding or this ladder that I'm using and then I think I might have told you guys about it I don't think we were recording yet but um yeah and there was like a sign that was like written in chicken scratch towards like the far end that was like don't step beyond this point and I was like that's kind of scary you know like what the heck 
Yeah, so we had to change our proto for that. I was pretty new too. I was like, I'm not going up there. It's like, you want me to put my what where? <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking about you and Kate. <laughs> always question ask why <laughs> if it seems wrong take a step back and take another look at it so there you go well good job good articles you i think <laughs> we did it All right. Well, so that's going to wrap up the uh, the podcast for today. We hope that everybody had a safe and happy new year and a good Christmas. Uh, we just want to remind everybody to tune in uh, to our weekly podcast. You can find us on you know, all your podcast platforms. Visit the website. Uh, you can sign up for a newsletter there. You know, We'll be sending those out to keep you up to date with what we got going on. And, you know, again, if you have any suggestions on, you know, things that you like to hear us discuss during one of these podcasts, you know, feel free to shoot us a message and we will uh, try and tackle that for you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Happy New Year. Or welcome Happy to 2021. <laughs> 2021. 2021. It can't be worse than 2020, right? think that they're done and then they keep going and then you're like okay and then they keep going and then you feel it like like in the back of your throat or that's and then, they keep going. <laughs> then it's in your stomach <laughs>